with the weather. So I want to get right into it. Again, I thank you so much for being here. I want to give you some of the, uh, you know, um, some of the highlights that are in the news. Uh, these are things that are ongoing. They have been going on for quite some time. And, you know, we're hoping that there'll be resolution at some point. Uh, this says that uh, Newcastle County Police Headquarters, uh, a rally of people uh, at the county police headquarters, protesters call for justice for Lamont Moses. They call for justice for Lamont Moses. And we know Lamont Moses was shot and killed by state troopers, if I have that information correct, uh, over in the, I believe that's the South Bridge area. Uh, back there, he made an attempt to turn his car around and get out of Dodge. And the police, uh, the police shot him and killed him. And so people, his family and other supporters are demanding justice for Lamont Moses. Uh, also want to share with you a little something that came through. These are messages that are left in our mailboxes by the station manager, Mr. Harmon Carey, uh, who has uh, keeps up very, very closely with news, mainstream media, newspaper, local news, global news. And I really appreciate that. And I think all of us here as journalists, we do. And it says that State House says yes to the bill that mandates body cams on Wilmington police officer, perhaps all of them. I did not read the entire uh, article. These are just the headliners. So uh, that's something that you can definitely go and check that out and see if you want to Google search it and find out more information. Uh, but again, this, the headline is that the state house okays bill that mandates body cams on the police officers law enforcement. So we're very happy about that. Uh, this was something I really didn't understand, but I'll just give it to you anyway. It says, from officer to activist, he shot two people while on the Philadelphia police force. Now he's questioning the entire system that protected him from the public's eye. And uh, there's, a, you know, just a whole story on that. Uh, you're certainly welcome to, to check that out. It was in the Sunday News Journal. So I guess that's about, uh, what was that, about five, six days old. Okay, so from officer to activist, we'll, we'll check that out later. But honestly, if you, you know, if you're an officer and you're shooting people and trying to find a good reason for doing that, uh, I can't say that there is one. I really can say that there is a great reason to just shoot black and brown people, like especially our sons, uh, not as much our daughters, but I'm sure they're on deck for it too, because Brianna, you know, Brianna Taylor, um, you know, she experienced that. And so, but for our sons, but just brown people, just brown people in general. Why are we shooting and killing brown people? Why is the police doing that? And I know there are as many answers to that question as there are people in the world because opinions are like people. Everybody, you know, everyone has an opinion. But I think the true fact of the matter, or maybe this is just my opinion as well, I'm going to take it from the perspective 
you know, if you can't kill them, or rather, if you can't enslave them, if they're not going to cost, if you can't make any money off of them by incarcerating them, then you might as well kill them. Uh, killing them saves a lot of time. And then, of course, we have police officers who want to go home at night. They want to go home to their families. And so they're afraid. And if they think they even remotely see something shiny, that's enough for them to say probable cause. I might as well just shoot. Shoot now and ask questions later. And I really think that that is a mindset in the police law enforcement. You know, ask questions later. Shoot first and ask questions later. And I, I feel really some kind of way about that. And I'm sure that maybe you do too. Perhaps you are the family member of a loved one who has, who has suffered uh, police brutality and, and abuse and you're looking for more accountability and transparency. I assure you, not only here in the state of Delaware, but all over. But I was uh, listening to uh, Ava Muhammad, the honors, honorable Dr. Ava Muhammad. And uh, she is such a poignant uh, orator and, and speaker. I, I just love to hear her speak. Uh, she inspires me to be a better speaker. But certainly I think what I'm, I'm most appreciating by her is her message. Dr. Ava Muhammad brings the intelligent noise to the microphone. And I like that. And she gave us some statistics and I, I have to, I have to encourage you, please do a Google and look up Ava Muhammad, Dr. Ava Muhammad, uh, it'll pop right up on your cellular device, your laptop, your your PC, your personal computer, and and just kind of check out what she's saying. But she was talking about her topic was America. Her topic was America, and she kind of went over quite a few different topics within that one umbrella. And one of the things that she shared that just kind of caught my attention, and I probably shouldn't even repeat it, simply because I don't have enough information, uh, my notes are not in front of me that I can repeat it to you, but I do recall her saying that it is in Minnesota. Minnesota has quite a problem with racism. Minnesota has a very low uh, in comparison, uh, and again, I'm not going to even try to do the numbers, but black and brown people are so, they are not getting jobs. They are not getting jobs. They are not employed. They are not working at the same rate as their non-black and brown counterparts. And she brings that you have to you have to go and listen to Dr. Ava Muhammad on the topic called America, where she really breaks it down. But that got me to kind of like a place of doing some research. Minnesota for historically, and I did not even know this, Minnesota has always had an issue with police lack of transparency, lack of accountability because of their killing and shooting black and brown people. Minnesota, it's a problem. 
And I'm so glad that I was able to hear her message. I love to, to listen to her, uh, as well as other great speakers and of religion uh, and, and various different, you know, reliances. I, I like the speaker. I like the message. And I, I like to be well-rounded. So I listen to her and I listen to uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes and I listen to, you know, the list just goes on. But one of the things I, I get from uh, Dr. Ava Muhammad is, you know, again, her message is so powerful and is so uh, authentic. She's researched. She does the research and she knows what she's talking about. So rather than me bumble up her, uh, her amazing, amazing uh, lecture on America, let me encourage you, please go to your, your computerized device and just pop that up really quick. Uh, Dr. Ava Muhammad titled America. And she kind of goes really, really all in, including one of my personal passions or pet peeves is judicial accountability. What is it about judges that has even politicians, unfortunately, and I, I don't even understand it. You know, they have some politicians shaking in their boots, shaking in their boots, do not want to go up against certain judges. And I believe that, uh, you know, I, I never paid attention to that until it knocked on my door and, and I became the mother of an incarcerated son because of a judge who has been sitting on the bench for 40 plus years and uh, is white, old white man. You know how that works in America. Old white men, right? They still have power, influence, and to some degree, control over scenarios. So uh, that's who sentenced my son to 25 years of incarceration uh, at 22 years old. He had just turned 22 years old. He was 21 at the time of the infraction. He was still underdeveloped, immature, and not uh, you know, not making rational, mature choices and decisions. And so what I did was I made a video expressing my particular thoughts on that and how it made me feel uh, to, to that degree. And... Um, so this video is seven minutes long and I'm kind of going in on how I feel about my son being incarcerated, uh, sentenced, over sentence as another young black male in the system, prison for profit. And it really just had me in a really crazy place emotionally as his mother, as his mother, as his friend. You know, my son was is also my friend. He's like one of my best friends because uh, because he just is. You know, we really understand each other. We have a great mom and son relationship. And so he's like my best friend. And then it's in my heart. I'm always the kind of person. I was raised that way by my family. The women in my family come from good stock. And we were all raised, if you see somebody who needs help, help them, reach out. Don't be a prude, you know, and think, oh, well, that's their problem. That's their karma. Well, maybe it is. And maybe there's nothing you can do, but at least reach out and try to help. <clears throat> I was also raised by my mother 
that when you see an injustice, when you see a wrong that's clearly wrong, like it doesn't take rocket science to see that some things are just wrong. Well, do what you can, whatever that means, whatever your resources are, to make right that which is wrong. And so when I saw that my son became the victim, yes, he had done something totally inappropriate. You should not be robbing anybody, the liquor store or anyone else. Absolutely inappropriate behavior. And we were prepared to take the consequences of the sentencing guideline, which was five years, five, six years. Now, here we are 13 years later and counting until somebody with the stroke of their pen can make a change. And so I made this video and I sent it out to approximately a hundred people, approximately a hundred people. And I'd say 40 of them, 50 of them had to be public servants, people that serve us from the Senate, the House, uh, on the Judicial Committee. I sent it to everyone in my contacts because I felt like Justin, my son, has been forgotten. They threw him in a prison and just forgot about him. So I made this video, I send it out to maybe 50 people, 60 people, I, I really don't know, and approximately 25, 35 uh, news, national news and local news networks. Because I want to keep it in their mind that there is an injustice that has happened and is happening. You need to be fresh with this. I know that other moms will leave their children to, to, to be at the wiles of the prison and the system, whatever their reasons are. And I don't understand it. I personally do not understand it. As a mother, to leave your child to sit in a prison and just be there and you don't take up one stand to make sure that your child is all right or is treated fairly, uh, or receives justice. Was your child justly sentenced? Or was it an unjust and unfair sentence like mine? But if you choose to sit back and do nothing and just tell yourself, hey, you got to live your life and those are your child's consequences and you know all of that, I will not judge you Peace and grace to you. Peace and grace to you. But I am the mother of the movement. And a movement does mean pushing forward beyond something. So I'm pushing past the systems, the antiquated practices of moral turpitude in the American judicial court systems and the prison systems. I'm pushing beyond that for my child. And so I send this email, I send this video, I email it, I text message it, whatever forms of communication, it's on my YouTube, and I posted it on my Facebook, and a portion of it went to my Instagram yesterday. Because I wanna put the world on notice 
that there is an injustice that is taking place in the state of Delaware. And it affects me personally because when you have my son, my only son incarcerated unfairly over sentence due to your old man racism, systemic racism in our courtrooms, this little brown boy stood in front of you and you sentenced him to 25 years. He wasn't even a grown man. You offered him or sentenced him to more time of incarceration than he had even lived on the planet Earth. 21 years old, 25 years of incarceration. No, I rebuke that. I'm not, we're not doing that. But by the grace of something greater than myself, the power of something more divine and spiritual and powerful and authoritative than me or the people, the person who put him there. We're not going to do 25 years. Justin has to come home now because the opportunities are here for him now. So I send this video out and you're welcome to go to YouTube and watch that for yourself. Rochelle Wilson, M-S-I-N. My YouTube channel is M-S-I-N. You can always catch it as well. It's on my Spotify, uh, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, iHeart, uh, my podcast. You can always find it there. Please subscribe. Please be a subscriber to my channels. You boost me up. You make me stronger and you make me feel better. So please subscribe. But you can go there and either watch on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or listen on my podcast to this seven minute video, a cry, a plea, a demand for justice, for Justin, justice for Justin. Now, I sent it. I get a phone call last night. <clears throat> It's not the first phone call I received from the moment I pushed send and began that national campaign to bring awareness to my son's case. I received phone calls, text messages. Uh, I've been making phone calls, sending text messages, emails. And I'll tell you, the phone call that came in last night came from the attorney general's office. It was explained to me that there is paperwork missing and we did not follow protocol in our paperwork for a commutation for my son's sentence. Commute his sentence, overturn the sentence, and bring him home today, immediately. I was informed Things are not in order. They're missing. Papers are missing from the commutation papers. And so I have to resubmit them, Justin and I, resubmit them and make sure we follow protocol that it gets to all of the people that it needs to get to. Because you see, I didn't send it to the judge. Why would I send a plea for justice for Justin to the very black man, boy, 
that he sentenced 13 years ago from his racism, uh, his racist seat as a judge. What makes you think, makes me think, I don't think, what makes anyone think that he's going to be on board and say, yes, release him. I'm going to pull back on my 25-year sentence, and yes, let's release the young man now at age 35. He stood before me at age 21, 22. Now he's 35, no longer a man-child. So yeah, let's release him. What do you think the probability of that is going to be? Really? Really? Do we? Can we anticipate the judge is going to have a change of heart. Perhaps by the grace of that which is more powerful than me, who will take the heart of the king and turn it around. Only time will tell. So, I will follow the protocol. I will make sure that every I is dotted and every T has been crossed. But I will not, I will not, I will not pull back on my campaign to liberate my son. And I want to just make a clarification. If you're listening now and you heard my dear friend and co-journalist, uh, Timeless Thomas, Big Deasy, you heard him mention me earlier and it baffles him. And for me, many, many months and years, it baffled me. With as many mothers as there are of children that are incarcerated, why are they not standing with me? Because I would then stand with them. And because of the relationships that I've made with the people that I've made them with, I would advocate on their behalf. But yet they do not stand that I don't see 500,000, uh, I don't see 500,000 women standing by my side. I, I don't see them. Maybe my eyes are blind and, I, and you're out there, but I don't see you. I do not see you standing with me as a mother, as a father, as anyone who has a, an incarcerated loved one, let's work together in unified, uh, you know, movement. Unified movement. Spider webs united can bind up a lion. African proverb, learned it many, many years ago, and I believe in that. So I thought, okay, Rochelle Wilson, you be the first, make the first move. Don't ask people to help you and you have not offered your services. So for the first two and a half, three years, maybe three and a half years, actually I'm thinking about it, yeah, about three and a half years. The first three and a half years of this movement, this advocating for my son, for justice, for Justin, I have done whatever was humanly possible to help as many families as I possibly could. I extended the first branch. Hey, 
You need help? Let me know. I'll make a call. I'll send an email. I'll speak on. I'll have a phone conversation. Whatever I can do to help you be better and your loved one have a better experience while incarcerated. If not to get them out. I've attended marches and protests. All in solidarity and unification with other people with other people, for justice, for whatever their cause may have been. No expectation that when it would be my turn, when I would need help for folks to rally together, they would be there. I didn't do it for that reason. I did it because it was about justice. The movement is about justice. Fair and equitable justice across the board for all people. Black, brown, and Native Americans, not just some folks. Everyone, fair and equitable justice under the law. But you see, we still got that 13th Amendment going on. And that can be confusing, to say the least, to some of our judicial courtrooms, our judges in the courtroom. Especially if it's a judge over the age of 50. If he's over the age of 50, chances are he may be thinking a very antiquated, uh, systemic kind of thinking. I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I stood with people for justice because it's the right thing to do. Now I call on people to stand with me. To watch the video and a mother's plea demand for justice now. If you can share the video, pass it along to your friends, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, at the lunchroom counter, at the water fountain, in the office building, your friends and family at home, just let them watch the video because you do not know who will be the one person that stands up and says, I will join her. I will boldly advocate for her son's immediate release, justice for Justin. Oh, I assure you, the one or two pieces of paperwork that apparently are missing from the commutation papers, and I did not follow protocol and put them in the everybody's hands. Some people uh, got the papers and some people did not. I put the papers in the hand of the people I thought could do something about it. All of those other people in the process, what they can't, what, why? Why would I send uh, Judge T. Henley Graves my son's commutation paperwork asking for, for justice. Really? I, I, don't, I just don't see it. It will take a miracle. It will have to be the hand of Almighty Divine that moves those papers beyond that judge and onto Carney's desk for his signature. It's going to take that. And it's going to take the people rallying together. I've never made uh, a secret of the fact 
that I want my son. I need him back. We would like, we being the family, the people who love Justin, who keep Justin sane and help him to keep from rotting away, deteriorating in a degenerative incarceration. We who love him, we will continue to stand. We will continue to campaign. We need Justin home. I've never made it a secret, but I've never made it a secret either that I am willing to stand with you for your campaign, for your loved one, for your passions. If it's about justice, truly about justice, fair and equality, yes, I will stand with you. I will speak up for you and let the work that I've done and my record speak for me. The first three and a half years of this movement, I did whatever I could to help other people. And I'm still doing that. And it seems I'm more successful in helping other people than I am at getting the paperwork right for my own family. But I'm working on it. And it's a journey. Tiresome. At times gruesome. Heart-wrenching. Painful. Disappointing. Angry for the letdowns. But one of the things that Timeless Thomas said is that that's all that I wanted is to get my son out. And I just want to correct that. That's not all that I want. That is the first thing uh, on my personal list to do. My personal to-do list is I would like for my son to be released from incarceration immediately. Justice for Justin. But there's another point to this movement. It is for fair and equitable justice across the board. Help me get my son out. I give you my word. I'll do what I can to help you get yours out. To at least make life a little better for yours. I'm not the beginning or the end. I'm not the alpha and the omega. But I would like to liken myself to a, a piece of chess on the chessboard. You may not like it. You may say it's my ego. I say I'm a queen on the chessboard. I'm a queen on the chessboard. You're listening to Rochelle Wilson. Make some intelligent noise. Justice movement. Pushing beyond, past, through, breaking the barriers of systemic racism and inequality in America's courtrooms with the judges, the prosecuting attorneys, even the ones we call public defenders. Let's make it fair. Let's get rid of the malfeasance of prison for profit. I'm going to stand up and speak out. I may not be the one that can push through every barrier. But if you stand with me and we push together and then someone else joins and now it's three of us 
and more come along, your family, my family, before you know it, we're all pushing that barrier together. And before it's over, that barrier is going to break. Pressure. If you put enough pressure on the barriers, they must break. They must give. Did you know that if you leave a dripping water, drops of water consistently, constantly, nonstop on a rock in time, it takes time, but in time, that water will begin to put a dent and enclave in that rock. Depends on how much time, enough time, the water will go right through the rock. But you gotta be consistent. You gotta be steadfast. I assure you there are days when I can barely get up out of bed for the depression. When my heart is so heavy, I can't pull myself up out of the bed, but by the grace of God, there go I. It's a movement, ladies and gentlemen. It's a movement for justice for all of our sons and daughters. And the moves that we make today, the barriers that we break today, joining forces, we leave a legacy that our grandchildren and our young children, our little beautiful black and brown girls and boys will not have to cross that barrier because we already knocked it down. We went through it. It's done. It's oh, The way is clear. The path is clear for your little sons and daughters and your grandchildren. And trust me when I tell you, I lived... <laughs> I lived in a place here in Delaware called Georgetown, Delaware. It's got to be the most racist, the racist section of the state of Delaware that I've ever lived in. I've been in Middletown. I've been to Ocean City. I've traveled the entire United States and abroad on more than one occasion. So I've been around in my 58 years of life. 59, prayerfully, <laughs> in just a little while, we pray, knock on wood, that I make it to my next birthday and even beyond that. But I've traveled in my life. I've met people and I've had conversations. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, all across this nation, you can be the change that you want to see. There are injustices taking place every which way we turn, some places more than others. And Georgetown, Delaware has got to be the most racist place in the state of Delaware that I have personally ever lived in. My grandchildren are still down there. My grandchildren and their mother live in Georgetown, Delaware. But let me tell you this, and this is a fact. 
I've never gone to the supermarket and seen so many pale white women, elder, grandmother, pale white women with these little black and brown babies in their shopping carts or in their somewhere in their possession or in tow. And that's their grandbaby. And that pale white woman, whatever she thought about black folks before that grandbaby got here, before that little black and brown baby ended up in her shopping cart, whatever her thoughts were, you try to mess with that baby, that little black and brown baby, and she'll fight you like a bear. She'll fight you like a mama bear. I've seen it with my own two eyes. This isn't something I read in a magazine. I saw it with my own two eyes. So I know it's real. On more than one occasion. So it's not just about our posterity as black and brown and Native American people. Because it's a whole lot of white folks out there that got some color toting behind them. They got little black and brown babies, Native American children that are running around the house. So they want justice for them because what happens when their little black and brown baby, Native American baby grows up, becomes a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old fella or, or girl running around doing whatever people do, kids do. You know what you did at 15, 16 and 17. You know what you did. Well, what happens when they start doing it? And 5-0, the police, Law enforcement roll up on it. You think they're going to know that that little black and brown baby belongs to that pale white woman who might be a judge's wife for all we know. We don't know who she is or who the family is. We just know her. She'll fight like a bear for them little grandbabies of hers. But do you think the police are going to know that? When they arrest it, pull it over, and God forbid, when they shoot it, when they shoot that little black and brown baby, oh, there'll be hell to pay when you shoot her little black and brown baby, her grandbaby. It's a whole scenario. You're listening to Rochelle Wilson. Make some intelligent noise. Justice movement here at WHGE 95.3 FM. Mother of the movement. And since we just have a few moments left, I want to leave you with a few facts. This is Black History Month, Black and Brown and Native American history, the shortest month of the year. So let's make sure we load it in with as much information of Black and Brown and Native American achievements as we possibly can get it in. So here's my contribution for today. I want to make a mention and give a shout out to Ruth Carol Taylor, uh, a journalist and a nurse. Carol Taylor, Ruth Carol Taylor became the first African-American airline flight attendant in the United States when she joined Mohawk Airlines in 1958. While she is most commonly known for her achievement in the airline industry, she spent much of her career as an activist for minority 
and women's rights. So Ruth Ann Taylor, we love you. We appreciate you and thank you for your contribution. And by the way, she is still alive, giving thanks and praise. Uh, I got to give a shout out briefly to Marcus Garvey. Uh, Marcus Garvey was a political prisoner. Uh, Marcus Garvey entered the federal prison in Atlanta on February 8th, 1925. He was a Jamaican political leader, publisher, journalist, entrepreneur, and orator who was a staunch proponent of the black nationalism and pan-Africanism movement. So uh, you know that Wilmington is considered as Garvey City. Mayor Przicki and all of the advocates and activists stood together, and uh, Wilmington is known as Garvey, Marcus Garvey City. So we give thanks to Marcus Garvey, who was indeed uh, an activist and a advocate. Also want to share this last little piece here with you. Um, it says, looking back 150 years ago, when Congress approved the 13th Amendment, which officially abolished slavery in the United States. Um, so although, although he believed slavery to be immoral, Abraham Lincoln was not an abolitionist when the Civil War broke out in 1861. The president's stated goal in the early years of the war was strictly the preservation of the Union, granting freedom from bondage to the nearly 4 million slaves in America was a secondary concern, a secondary concern. You've got to go and, and check out your history, understand things as they truly are. Uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln is on the penny, the least denomination of all coins, and it is a brown copper coin. Now you think about that, uh, even though you say, I am the conspiracy theorist. However, Moving forward, I just want to say thank you. I appreciate you being here with me today. It has indeed been a beautiful, beautiful gathering together. I appreciate being here with you, no matter how hard it may be for me throughout the week. Uh, sometimes the struggle of the heaviness on my heart just to get up and start my day as a mother whose son cannot be with me. Now, I don't have it as bad as some moms who have lost their sons to the grave. I cannot put myself in their shoes. My condolences, heartfelt condolences to those mothers. I'm not that bad as it states today. Thank you, almighty divine. But I am the mother of a son who was incarcerated and over-sentenced, his only crime being the color of his skin. And so I must stand up for him. If you moms out there want to join forces, then let us join forces. Let us knock down the barriers. Let us bind the lion because we can, especially as women, but join the movement. And if you can do no more, then simply be a subscriber to my YouTube uh, channel and to my, um, to my Spotify, my Anchor. Please, please subscribe. 
Listen, I do the work and I do it for you to keep you informed, to keep you educated and to let you know of my advocacy so you can join in at any point to be the change that you want to see. I'm Rochelle Wilson. Make some intelligent noise. The mother of the movement, W-H-G-E. Thank you for being here until we come together again. Remember that God loves you and I love you. I appreciate you. I am thankful to be in your presence. Take care of yourself. Be good to yourself. But the best, most important part of the message be good to others. Lift a helping hand as often as you can. It will do your own heart a world of good. All right, everyone, I'll turn you back to your regularly scheduled program. I love you. God bless you. Until we meet again, take care and amen. All right. <laughs>